Good morning, BlackRock. Hey, aren't our students awesome? Can I just, yeah? They are. Praise God. Um, well, my name is Tim Blow, and I am the lead director of student ministries here at BlackRock. Um, and uh, I have been in uh, student ministries full-time for over 13 years now. And... Uh, uh, you know what? Can I tell you? Uh, I get asked all the time. In fact, I got asked last Sunday, uh, hey, Tim, so how much longer are you going to do this whole student ministry thing? You're like, you know, you're no spring chicken anymore, right? You got a lot of gray going on. You know, when are you going to move on? And my response last week, as it always is, is that I will move on. Uh, I will stay in student ministry. Let me say that. Um, as long as God continues to break my heart for students to, to live in and know the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why I do what I do. But here's the thing. In recent years, there have been a lot of devastating stats out there that have said that students are leaving their faith in massive numbers. You might have heard about that. They often sound something like this. 86% of evangelical students drop out of the church and leave their faith never to return after graduation from high school, right? The problem with stats like this is, A, they're not true. And B, this is not numbers. We're talking about people here. There have been a number of times, well, let me say this, in May of 2014, um, Lifeway Research uh, did, some, did a poll and did some research and, and found that, in fact, 70% of young adults do uh, drop out of the church. But they also, they also stated that, really, it's all about the details, too. Because of that 70%, two-thirds, almost two-thirds of that group actually came back to the church in the time span of the study. And that, 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 that research was done of all Protestant churches, mainline, evangelical. Yet this idea of students kind of graduating from their faith is becoming something that's almost becoming uh, normal, almost accepted as just the way that it is. And over the past few years, I've had conversations with some parents that have had a son or a daughter who's walked away from the Lord. And um, this is very incredibly difficult. And as they talk and as they go on, eventually they just kind of shrug their shoulders and like, well, I guess it's just the way it is that student, like they just have to have a time in their lives to experiment and be wild. And I sympathize. I sympathize because I know how painful it is for parents to um, have to watch as their son or daughter walks away from the Lord. I, I, I sympathize. I know this because I watched my parents as they cried night after night as my brother walked away from the Lord in his teenage years. So I know the pain. I sympathize. And so I, I try to give an encouraging word to a hurting parent in that situation. But Thing is, when, they, when they're there and they're talking and I'm nodding my head and they say, well, I guess, I guess it's just the way that it is. I, I feel within me wanting to yell out, no, no, that doesn't have to be the way that it is. Our heavenly father did not give his only son so that we could test and see what this world has to offer, only to have to live with the pain and the regret that comes from that. No. By God's grace, when we encounter Jesus Christ, he longs for us so much to have life to the fullest, lived out in the power of God, the truth of God, the love of God in our lives. So where does the problem lie? To be honest, there's no simple answer. These aren't, situations aren't um, cookie cutter versions of one another. It's a little more complicated than that. 
But what God has laid upon my heart this morning is to look at his word as to what is a true faith. And we're going to jump into that. But I also want to share with you a little bit what I've learned in the 13 years that I've been ministering to parents and to students. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that you love us, that you desire for us to have a saving, dynamic faith, God, that transforms who we are. Lord, and I also, I, I, I just pray that your spirit would speak through me right now. And God, I pray, God, that your spirit would just speak to the hearts of every single person in this room. God, that you would show us exactly what you want us to hear and you do a mighty work in our lives. We give you glory this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning is uh, from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. So if you have your Bibles, your devices, or you can look on the screen, we're going to kind of dive um, right into this. James chapter 2, verses 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, in this passage, we, say, we see James, the half-brother of Jesus, telling us the difference between a faith that saves and a faith that's lacking. In our culture, people talk a lot about faith, that you just need to, you just need to have faith, you just need to keep the faith, and, you know, and faith is a, is a key doctrine in our lives as Christ followers, Right? But see, faith is not some nebulous feeling that we conjure up as human beings. Faith is confidence that the word of God is true and the conviction to live that out and to live the life that God is calling us to. When I was in high school, um, all the guys in my high school wanted to have a pair of Oakleys, right? They wanted to have Oakleys, you know, they were a status thing, you know, 100 to 150 bucks for these things. And uh, so everyone kind of wanted them. So sure enough, uh, one day one of my friends uh, got back from a trip to the Jersey Shore and he began to brag about the fact that he had now a pair of Oakleys, right? And so we're kind of looking at him and stuff. And he's like, yeah, man, I got like a great deal, like 50 bucks. And uh, so we're looking at him and one of the guys that was there was admiring these glasses and then all of a sudden started laughing. He's like, dude, these aren't Oakleys, they're Folkleys, you know? And our, our formerly proud friend, still in denial, kind of looks at these, this prized purchase, and sure enough, on the side of it, uh, as you look closely where it said Oakley, it didn't actually say Oakley, it said Oakey. There was no L, right? 
You know, living close in New York City, we know we can go down the city, you know, and some vendor someplace, I don't know if it's legal or not, but you can find a counterfeit of something that is real, right? Because here's the thing. Wherever there is the true, there will always be the counterfeit. And this was the case even in the early days of the church. And Jesus warned his early followers in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I mean, obviously no one wants to buy a fake product when you think you're getting the real deal, but this pales in comparison to thinking that you have a saving faith when you don't. This is not a matter of pride. This is a matter of life and death. So with eternity on the line, let's take a look at what James describes as a saving faith. And I, I love how the, uh, there's a, a theologian I love named Warren Wearsby, and I love how he breaks this down and kind of gives us three different types of faith coming out of this passage in James. The first type of faith that we see here is a dead faith, a dead faith. What's a dead faith? Well, it's defined three times in James chapter 2 in verses 17, 20, and 26. And a dead faith is one that has no actions behind it. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, if one of you says to them, go and peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is pointing out here the kind of faith that doesn't save by, by giving an illustration of the fact that let's say a, someone comes to you in need and you just kind of wish that person well when you in fact have the ability to help with that need. Simply wishing that person well means nothing. It's empty words. Anyone can see that because anyone can do that, Right? It means nothing. But when there's action behind a person's words, then you begin to believe what they say. The same is true with faith. Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life is, is a false declaration. The great theologian John Calvin said, uh, it's faith alone that justifies. But faith that justifies is never alone. Faith that is of purely intellectual assent is a dead faith. It can never save. Because when we, because saving faith is when it's always followed by new life in Christ. And that new life produces good works. I want you to see that a dead faith is one that only takes place in your head. You might be able to defend your faith. You know, you know your stuff, you can quote all your verses, but there is a big difference between being able to defend your faith and demonstrating your faith. The second type of faith that we see in James 2 is a demonic faith. It's not something here every day, right? A demonic faith? I mean, it sounds like an oxymoron. What, what does that mean, a demonic faith? Well, James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Might come as a bit of a shock to you to, to realize that demons have faith, right? They've, they have faith in God. They believe in God. They believe that God exists. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
They believe that, uh, um, that there's heaven and a hell. They believe that Jesus Christ will be the judge of all men and, and women and, and demons. They even listen and do what Jesus says. Now, we talked about the fact that a person with a dead faith is someone who only responds with their head. But a demonic faith not only responds with their head, but also responds with their heart. Their heart. They're affected by their emotions. James says that not only do they believe their head, but they also shudder their heart. They respond in fear. So just because you know your stuff, that does not mean that you have a saving faith. Just because you know your stuff and you've had an emotional experience or you really get emotional when they're singing, that does not mean that you have a saving faith. Someone can be enlightened in their mind and even stirred in their heart and yet be lost forever. True saving faith involves something more. Something that can be seen and recognized. And that's a changed life. That brings us to our third type of faith that we see here, which is a dynamic faith. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. See, a dynamic faith is one that is real. It's one that saves. It has power and results in a changed life. Not only does it affect the head and the heart, but it also affects the hands. Dynamic faith results in a changed life. It's a faith that can be seen in who you are and what you do. This kind of faith is a saving faith. As James is stating, true faith leads to action. And he points this out in the life of Abraham. Because see, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, right? He's a righteous guy, not perfect at all, but he loved the Lord and the Lord loved him. And the Lord said, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. Your, the number of your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Right, so here's Abraham you know, and, and he has one son of promise at the ripe, old, impossible age of 100, right? And God says, Abraham, I want you to take your only son. I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham decided to obey God and follow through. And even though following through on that seemed to void God's very promise of all these descendants. So he obeyed. And as he took his son up and was about to sacrifice him, God stopped him. But what we see is that Abraham was willing to act upon his faith, to live out what he would believe was true, and he obeyed. See, what we need to do is examine our hearts to see, do we have a saving faith? Has our faith been made complete, or do we simply know the truth? Has, have we been changed by dynamic faith, or have we simply had some type of emotional experience someplace along the way? This is a question that every single student and every single adult needs to ask themselves. Where is your heart? There's something very important I have to clarify here. I want you to know that in no way can your works save you. 
okay? You cannot earn your salvation by doing good things. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes it very clear that it's by faith we are saved, um, uh, by God's grace in our lives. It's not works. But Ephesians 2, 10 goes right along and says, <laughs> but guess what? True faith is always followed by works. It plays out in our lives. A true faith, you don't earn your salvation, but it's out of your salvation through works, through faith that works flow. So the question of the morning is, how is it that a faith sticks? How do we cultivate a lasting faith that doesn't fade? Well, the first thing is, you have to make sure you have a saving faith that we see here in James 2. Make sure today that you have a saving faith. But I also want to debunk a few myths out there as to what uh, is, is a characteristic of a lasting saving faith. And here's the first one. Knowledge. Just because someone knows the Bible and knows what it says does not mean they have a lasting dynamic faith. It doesn't. I grew up in a, a small Baptist church and I remember at one point uh, they began having this problem of the children's Sunday school offering disappearing, right? Being stolen. And we all had in our mind like a few suspects were like, yeah, it's probably that kid, right? And we're thinking those things. But what caught us by surprise is who was actually caught in the act. It was a kid from a great home and it was in fact the kid who had literally memorized the most verses, stealing the money each and every week. And when confronted with this, he really didn't see a problem with what he was doing. And so we saw this in James, just because someone has intellect, has the know what the Bible does, just because they know what the Bible says, does not mean they have a saving faith. Second myth is attendance. Simply sitting in these chairs each and every week uh, does not mean that you have a dynamic lasting faith. You know, going to Sunday services every week or going to student ministry every week does not mean automatically that you have a lasting saving faith. Now, don't get me wrong. It's so important for us to gather together for corporate worship, to hear the word from the stage. It's so very important. And in fact, oftentimes we demonstrate, we, we tell by our actions, by how we choose to use our time on Sunday morning what's most important to us and our families, Right? But if you're banking simply on attendance for your faith, then when life hits, you may find yourself a little bit bankrupt in the area of faith. If you're here and faith is as, uh, attendance is as far as you've gotten, I want to encourage you, go out to the Next Steps booth and find out what your next step in your faith is. Get connected to a community of believers who want to pour into you and help you grow in your faith. If you're in middle school or high school and you've never gotten plugged into a stu our student ministry here at BlackRock, all these cool people, not me, all the cool people, right? Why not? Too busy? Seek the Lord as to what is of utmost importance and chase after that with all that you have. You will not regret that, I promise you. The third myth that I've also seen is behavior. Behavior. This is the one where the danger really lies. This is the one that catches the most parents off guard when, when their kids walk away from their faith. Because they say, well, they're such a good kid. They were such a good kid. But see, great behavior is not equal to great faith. Just because someone has an amazing history of behavior does not mean they have a greater faith than someone who doesn't have that history. 
Someone who has grown up with, in church, has a great family, knows what to say, has had a great history of behavior, can be severely lacking in faith compared to the one who comes from a broken home, has scars from self-injury, is trying to tone down her colorful language because it was a year ago that she met Jesus and he gave her new life and she loves him desperately. Over, 13 year, over the 13 years I've been in student ministry, I've known a lot of good kids. They didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang with those who do, right? They respected their parents. They did, for the most part, you know, what was expected of them. Yet in many of these students' lives, I failed to see a love for their Savior and a passion to see others come to know Him. And can I tell you, as their pastor, this terrifies me. Because if I don't see it, I really doubt an unbelieving world does. And I know that a real dynamic faith, it shows. It comes out. But they do what is expected. So most people think that their faith is okay. Yet once they leave the umbrella of home, so many turn from their quote-unquote faith because that faith was at home and not with Jesus. I love the second example that James gives us here uh, for what is a saving faith in the person of Rahab. What was her profession? She's a prostitute, right? And uh, her life was messy. It probably uh, was in a lot of ways and probably still towards, you know, even further on in her life was pretty ugly at times. But she knew the truth. She had emotion about that fear and she acted in a way where God not only saved her and her family from the Israelite uh, uh, invasion, but it also allowed her to be included in the lineage of Christ. And I really doubt that Rahab, once she entered the Israelite community, I really doubt that she all of a sudden became this pillar of the community that everyone looked to. I think in many ways her past was still known and people can be very harsh, can't they? But yet God chose to use this woman with a terrible past and yet a saving faith to bring about the perfect future in Christ. Don't measure your kids simply by their behavior. Don't measure your own life simply by your behavior. Yes, someone with, yeah, I mean, should someone with a saving faith act like Jesus? Yes. This is the very works that we just talked about of a dynamic faith. You know, someone who knows Jesus should love him and, and live to point others towards him, right? But what we really need to ask ourselves, what you need to ask yourselves as parents is, does my kid love Jesus? What we need to ask ourselves is, do we really love Jesus? I want to leave you with one characteristic that I have seen that I, I'm telling you has at least a 90% success rate. This combined with the pursuit of holiness and the word of God and being connected to community really um, is what marks someone with a dynamic lasting faith. And that's someone who is living the heartbeat of Christ. A sticky faith comes from someone who lives a life that lines up with the heartbeat of their Savior. I mean, Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to reconcile the lost to himself, to the Father. 
Jesus, it's the one commandment that Jesus left us to go and to reach those that so desperately need to know him. It is the one cause that is above every other cause for us as Christ followers. Because when a person lives out their faith, shares their faith with their friends, with their peers, and they see the very power of God work in them, through them, around them to change the lives of others, it is undeniable. He is undeniable. Towards the beginning of this message, I told you how faith is confidence that God's word is true and it's the conviction to act upon that very word to live the life that God is calling us to. Well, the truth is that Jesus came to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have life both now and forever. The truth is that Jesus, for those of us who have experienced his salvation through faith alone, we can't help but be changed any more than someone can help but be changed by grabbing onto a live 220-volt wire, right? It's shocking. We, we're changed by it forever. The truth is, we have been called by our Savior to live out our faith in a way that draws people towards himself. And it doesn't matter if you're in middle school, high school, your golden years, or somewhere in between. Cultivate a lasting faith in your heart and the heart of your kids by pursuing Jesus and pursuing others that need to know him. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if you don't have a saving faith and you realize that this morning, please do not leave this room before you make that decision, that choice to place your faith and trust in Jesus and start on that new journey in this new life today.